Welcome to How Did You Manage That, a podcast where we talk to music managers about their journeys, the lows, the highs, and everything in between. I'm Sophie. And I'm Ali. This episode, we've got a story of a manager who has actually had a pretty damn good 2020. I think there's no there's no denying that the type of music that she makes, music around empathy and, and hope, has really resonated with people at this time. But of course, it wasn't always that simple. Before I met Arlo, I was giving Beatnik like another eight, nine months, you know, financially. We were really, we were really in a difficult hole. This week's guest is Ali Raymond, founder of Beatnik Creative Label and Management Company, manager of Island and breakout star of 2020, Arlo Parks. We talk release strategies, belief in the music, running an indie label in 2020, riding the roller coaster of hype, and we get some straight talking that I'm pretty sure a lot of managers will relate to. When you manage someone or you want to manage someone brand new, no one cares who they are, right? No one really gives a fuck. <laughs> so it's a brilliant conversation, loads coming up. You're not going to want to click away from this episode. As usual, we have another new music tip from our Small Green Shoots partners, an excellent music startup. You'll hear that halfway through the episode. So thanks for joining us again. If this is your first time, thank you. Hello. We've got loads of episodes you can check back on, some amazing stories and management. And if you haven't already, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. That would be a big help to us. If you want to say hey, ask us anything, or maybe even suggest a guest, hit us up at ManageThatPod on Instagram or Twitter. So let's get into it. It's How Did You Manage That? with Ali Raymond. So we are now joined on Zoom by Ali Raymond, the the boss, the CEO of Beatnik Creative, which is a record label, management company, artist development. On the management side, which we care about most on this podcast, he looks after Island and one of, I would say, the globally biggest breakthrough acts of the year, Arlo Parks. Hey man, wow. how are you doing? Damn, what an intro. I could like carve that in my drive, you know, my parking spot or something. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't give me a ticket. Yeah. Come on, man. Thank you so much for for inviting me on. It's Ali reliving his radio days there with that intro. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while, a little rusty. Um, no, we, we, we couldn't think of anyone better to get on this year. We've done five episodes so far in 2020. Obviously, a completely bananas year. And as much as we find it really important to talk about the struggles, we also want to highlight the successes and things that have been going well. Um, so the year Arlo's had in, for all, all artists around the world, an incredibly difficult year, has, from the outside anyway, looked like a perfect year in terms of building, but we know, we know it's not going to have been that easy. So <laughs> it's a hard way to start, but how on earth has this year been it's, for you? It's, it's, it's up and down, but I have to, you know, and I feel guilty for saying it, but it's one of the best years of my life as well. You know, um, it's really tough because we have some fantastic friends that and some of our team who have lost jobs and, and um, have really suffered. I know people have died as well, um, musicians and such. And I think that's a really, really tragic side of it. Um, but I, you know, to say that it's been a good year, to say that it's been fantastic, it, it has. And I think people have found a way. I think as, as creatives and entrepreneurs, we all find a way, right? And find the silver linings in things. And I think out of any industry, we, we, we tend to find a way. So, so for, for Arlo, it's been, well, it's been incredible because it's been an accumulation of, of, you know, I met her when she was 17 and she's just turned 20. You know, she, 
she finished her debut album during lockdown over the last summer. Um, so, you know, on just while she was 19. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's been, it's been two years of hard work when I met her to then get to this point, which is going to be our launch year and off the back of BBC Sample and, and things like that. It, it was tragic to have to cancel 36 or 37 music festivals. Wow. Um, wow. That, was, that was nuts. Um, and that really, you know, she had a Hayley Williams tour in America. It was be her first time <laughs> touring in America. And I remember that being announced, man. That must have been. You know, spe- you know and I remember when I, when I first met Lisa, she'd never been to America. And I promised <laughs> her after her A-levels that we would go to LA together. You know, um, and we did, and we and we flew out for two weeks, and we just hung out in the desert and in LA. And she actually went to Rick Rubin's music studio because she, wow. no. she was like, yeah, she was. It was an amazing trip, and we met some amazing people. And I was like, this is this is you now. You finished your A levels, like, you know, you could come out here lots of times and collaborate, and all your musical peers are out here. And uh, and this year we were hoping to do that and go out and write and work with people. Um, obviously the Hayley Williams tour and do her own headline tour. She sold out New York show. She was on the brink of selling out her LA show. And then the tragic news happened. Um, but, you know, she, she's an incredible human being where she took five minutes back. She had a little bit of a moment, you know, maybe a little bit of a cry. And straight away she was back on it and plugged into a Zoom. And she kind of went at it and really started talking to everyone and doing interviews mm-hmm. with everyone around the world. And, so we found, we tried to find solutions of, of how to keep her relevant and keep her music going. And mm-hmm. I think there's no, there's no denying that the type of music that she makes, music around empathy and, and hope, has really resonated with people at this time. So, you know, some people would say it's the perfect timing and maybe there is a little bit of luck there, but it, it's something that she's always been making and it's just really connected with people. So very thankful for that and very thankful for the support of, of many, many people from across the industry and and the fans to, to be supporting her. How, um, actually, no, let's take it back first. How did you meet Arlo in the first place? It was, um, so it's actually a friend of mine who works for BBC Introducing, uh, Jess Isat. She was very... Oh, lovely Jess. Yeah, lovely Jess. I've known Jess for a long time. And, you know, you, you find music through so many different ways, right? Like, it gets sent to you. Once you're in this kind of matrix that we find ourselves in, it's no longer just trawling through SoundCloud or the internet. It's, it's usually personal recommendations. And she, she told me about this young girl who had uploaded her music to BBC Introducing. And usually BBC Introducing is like a needle in a haystack. And, uh, but I took Jess on her word and I heard a track called Romantic Garbage that Issa had produced herself at 16. I was obsessed. Mm-hmm. Like when I get into a song as well, I just play like 15, 20 times repeat. And that's when I know that I really, really like it. And then um, we met in the park when she was 17. Uh, and we didn't go to the pub, which I wanted to do because that was kind of a default setting of my pub. <laughs> I can't get in. Um, so we had a cup of tea. And uh, yeah, we had a little walk around the park. And um, it was a summer day in London. And then uh, a couple of weeks later, I met her parents. And then I went for dinner with her parents. And, uh, and yeah, the rest was history, really. So funny when you talk about wow. it, it always sounds like, but it is a very, especially if a manager is, is going to be responsible for taking on quite a young act. It's almost like taking your hand in marriage. I met the parents, the parents yeah. liked me, the parents said <laughs> yeah. yes, but it's really interesting. Do you, um, I suppose any manager feels responsibility, but the fact that she was, I mean, 17 is so young at the time. Did you feel, 
obviously a great sense of responsibility to make sure that you know she you knew, you've met her parents etc that you know she she was on the path and comfortable with what she was doing and this kind of hell mouth of an industry that it can be sometimes going into it. It's, it's something that's really informed me as we work together going into her label deals and her publishing deals later on. But at the beginning, certainly for me, it was a really new experience because I'd always worked with people in their 20s, in their late 20s. And obviously there's lots of artists that have come through the industry at 15, 16, 13, Billie Eilish. But it was the first time I'd come across, I'd come across an artist as young as that. And um, when you meet Issa, she's 17 going on 35 anyway. <laughs> old soul, as they say. Yeah, she's a proper old soul. Um, and, um, but I think more importantly for me as well, as, as a male manager, um, being conscious of a young female, a young black female in the music industry was, was, a, was a lot of things went through my mind and I had to make sure that I was wrestling with myself that I did everything right, you know, and um, more so, even more so than, than, than my other clients where, you know, at the beginning, I always try and find them a music lawyer, you know, straight away off the bat, you know, I never go in there guns blazing with a record contract. It's like, let's develop a relationship, let's build trust. And so part of that trust was, let me meet your parents as soon as possible. And that was an interesting meeting because I was sat mm -hmm. at the table and it cooked me dinner and it felt, it felt very sort of traditional. But these are the important things because I felt like through that, she really kind of learned to trust me. And then we could go and make tough decisions about her future at that age. You know, decisions like, do you defer your university? Because, you know, she got top grades at university. She could have gone to a top, top university in London. Wow. English literature. She deferred it. It was a big decision and it was a big gamble mm -hmm. for her family, especially as well, who come from an academic background. But they don't come from a creative background. But she had the sort of the perseverance and the will to, to know that this is what she wanted to do. So, um, yeah, all those things are really big factors um, in, in meeting her. That's amazing. I think um, it's, it's probably now's a good time to point out as well that, you know, this isn't your first rodeo in working with an act from the ground up. You know, I've, I think we first got to know each other when you were working with an act, yeah. Turtle, from Scotland. Being Scottish, I was, I was all across it years ago. And again, the way you said when you heard that first song, when you love a song, you get obsessed with it. I remember having loads of conversations about Turtle, which you were releasing on, on, on Beatnik. Um, it'd be good to dial back a bit and talk about the kind of ethos you've got with uh, Beatnik, because when I found out, I think I'd heard about Arlo before I found out you were involved, and then it all kind of made sense, because there's a lot of community, I would argue, in the artists you work with, and the and the acts you have on the label, and the kind of approach you have to it is so about that person, and so about, you know, letting them discover themselves rather than trying to find a hit, you know, it was, it was something really quite different, so yeah, take it, take us yeah, through well, the kind of the, the It's kind nice of to know that Beatnik comes across that way, I think you know, I see Beatnik as a development company. You know, I, I see the management company record label together as a platform, as a, as a scaffolding underneath the, uh, the talent, right? And underneath this incredible music that, you know, I come from a creative background as well. So when I started the company, I was always looking for an angle. Other management companies, I, when I started out, I, I worked in many different areas of music industry, but specifically when I, when I discovered music management years later, and I was like, that's the job for me. I was like, I want to do it on my own. But I saw a lot of management companies and they were very like... Um, well, to want for want for a better word, they just had like websites like their accountants. You know, there was no there was, <laughs> there was no like there was nothing there that they represent that represented the, the incredible creatives that they they look after, right? So yeah. I was like, well, yeah. I have to lead by example as well. And and when we started beating it, we wanted to have a cool 
sort of boutique label that could, 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 could give, be a platform for, for artists that we managed at the very beginning, but also really concentrate on their, on their creative output and how they look and how they present it and their strategy. So the label really started because at the beginning, when you manage someone or you want to manage someone brand new, no one cares who they are, right? No one really gives a fuck. <laughs> and so it's only until you get like a, a big premiere or a bit of great press or a Radio 1 play or something. Then, then I like to think a lot of the industry, the woodwork, they come out of the woodwork and they start asking questions. So we found at the beginning when I was looking at After Turtles, the first release, I was sending those demos around to people and no one really wanted to, to, to put it out. So we were like, well, put it out ourselves. And mm. We did a deal with the Orchard and we, put, and we started our record label and that was, and that was it. Um, but yeah, from the, from the sort of beginning, I think it's so important to inform that, that early release, that, that, that conversation from the beginning, that, that drop in the ocean. You have, and that's the great thing about working with new artists and new music is because no one has heard anything or no one has seen anything. So that's the most mm. exciting part. So then you can really inform the conversation. You can really help them steer how the rest of the world are going to see them uh, for, when it comes to the album. But I think most importantly is taking our time and so doing EP releases, stretching out the singles, and that gives enough time I found for those artists that also themselves learn more about the industry, themselves start to feel more confident without pressurizing them into the hit or the, 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 mm -hmm. the pending album, which is probably on every new artist's shoulders and they probably think they've probably been thinking about it since they pick up a guitar, you know? Um, so, I like our format. Our format always works with that. And people that we manage, we always put through Beatnik first. Mm -hmm. um, it's just the way we work. And I think it's the best strategy for our, for our company and our platform. So, and then from, from Turtle, we, we released, uh, used to manage Palace and we released their debut EP and they went on to sign to a major. We, we released Island. We've got signed to an indie deal afterwards. And yeah, there's lots of examples. Eliza Shaddad, we released a lot of her EPs and her album. And so, and, and, and Arlo Parts, of course, we released our first two EPs. And that, those first two EPs took the pressure off me as a manager as well, because it meant that I could say no to rec immediate record deals or, or mm. money. I could say to Ollie, look, we're, we're doing well, the EP's doing well, let's take our time. And then when the time's right, you can upscale. Um, so, and I see now a lot of management companies starting their own record labels. And I think that's a, a wise decision um, because especially now it does feel like music, music management has changed a lot. Um, over, the, over the decades and we are now very much strategy and, and creative as much as anything else. So when did um, Transgressive get involved? Because that was always, I remember, a really interesting signing. I think obviously I remember being at The Great Escape 2018, I think it was. was it, when did she play The Big Tent on the beach and it was packed? It was... Was that last? No. Was last year. Oh, was it? Oh my God. COVID's yeah. literally just added years on to me. I'm like, we're in, tw <laughs> we're in 2023. Um, but, um, but yeah, I remember seeing her and it was packed and it was an A&R fest, if that's one way of putting it. I literally couldn't swing a cat for bumping into a major label A&R in that tent at the time. And then I think I found out a couple of weeks later that she'd signed to Transgressive. And I think if you say if you work in the music industry but I think everybody naturally imagined because of the hype around her she'd do a giant massive obvious major label deal and you didn't with her did you so I was just wondering how that came about what the thought process was behind doing that deal as I'm sure there were other 
deals on the table for you? Yeah, yeah no, we turned down, I think, five major labels to sign Trevor's. And I think, you know, again, it comes back to how intelligent and how, how good Arlo is at consuming information and, ad- and adapting and, you know, sort of um, processing it. So uh, we sat down with her very early on and I said, you know, what, what she wanted to do and who her favorite artists were. And I've, in the past, I've worked with majors and, and indies and knowing what, what the type of artist Arlo could be at that time, I was like, I really want to be held back by some of the constraints that major labels have in terms of doing a session online, then you have to go through the the rights through that or giving away your merch, giving away your live. I felt like Arlo was one of those artists that could go on to buck the trend where, yes, we need the big marketing spend, but she could be loved by everyone and then we're okay. So from very early on, Spotify, Apple and people like that were very, very keen on her. So we thought to ourselves, well, Mm-hmm. we've got all this amazing early support what you know maybe we take the risk maybe we roll the dice and we don't go purely for what feels like a really big check and, and the big marketing but fundamentally what really drove the conversation was the people and knowing again coming back to her age and who she is i didn't want her to be in a position where she felt immensely pressured for her debut where she had a marketing department behind her and all these chefs in the kitchen telling her what to wear, what to do, what to do. It was be yourself, but we're just going to help you support that and grow. And, and we're transgressive. You've got probably the most incredible people in the music industry. I know I've known Toby and Tim and for a long time. And Mike is, is especially a close friend of mine over there. You know, Secretly Canadian were another great suitor that would have been really, really amazing to work with. And I think it was about putting behind her a team that she could be completely empowered, were incredibly ambitious because they'd been nominated for two Grammys, Grammy-nominated artists anyway. Um, but that was the thinking behind that, really. It just felt like, as you said, that tent. I had, had weird, warped dreams of, like, <laughs> having a massive hole in the floor and the whole music industry just being swallowed up. Because, you know, there's, that tent was a really difficult one. That tent was, was that like, a dream or a fantasy? <laughs> a bit of both. A bit of both. cynical. But I think, you know... <laughs> There was, you can't help but be a bit cynical sometimes with some of the music industry and how, how hot and cold they are. And I think that Ted was her first show. She went straight from school on Friday evening, left school at 17. Her teacher was like, you can't leave now. I need you to stay extra hours after school to do some work. And she was like, uh, sir, I've got like, I've got a great escape show. It's got <laughs> I don't care. Leave no. now, don't bother coming back to school on Monday. And she just left. I mean, she, you know, it was like, it was 3.30. She wasn't and he was just being really difficult. And so she belted it down on the train to Brighton. And it was one in, one out. The industry were climbing over the barriers. Yeah, to- yeah I remember. Very special gigs. You get two of, those, two of those a year at the Great Escape. Yeah. And there's a lot of chin scratching, you know, a lot of sort of people in the back <laughs> making noise. But she smashed it. And, you know, I think at that point, it was too early for a lot of the majors anyway. Uh, the deals that we were looking at, and, mm. you know, you could tell that they just, they were just going through the, the, the motions. They were just going through, well, we've got to put a deal down this girl because she's going to be big, rather than the really tailored plan and love and affection that a lot of the other labels that were going to be closer suitors would have been. And then later on, the majors did come on board, and I think they were fantastic, you know, so there were some fantastic offers there, but mm. fundamentally by that time, we'd already moved on and we had got to a place where, she had already kind of built a brand, and I think, and I hope 
that beatnik had a big part of that in her early releases enabling her to make a more strong decision with her albums i think what's amazing these days is what you were just saying before which was not that the majors aren't all powerful beings still as they like to think they are but one of the reasons for signing you know up to maybe even like you know five years ago was because you needed access to radio you needed access to spotify you needed access to apple and now you don't that's not the reason to sign because you can do these and make these relationships yourself yeah. i think it's incredible you said you know you already had all that early support for her and, and radio were on board and spotify were on board and apple were on board and so that meant that when you were looking for that relationship it was really about the music and not about everything else that, that people kind of think oh but you know they've got five new music friday so we probably should go with them which i'm sure is some people's way of thinking sometimes when it comes to labels so oh, I mean, still yeah absolutely and they look at the playlist absolutely mm. no, i think i think you're right i think it got to that point where you know if you have the right artist if you have the right type of artist with a fantastic personality and a really amazing work ethic which arlo is because she's an incredible singer she's an incredible poet incredible writer but what she is behind the scenes is like phenomenal like she, I've never seen anyone work as hard. I've never seen someone be, give more time to, to anyone. So when she meets people, producers, DJs, radio people, behind the scenes, she's, during lockdown, she's on the internet having chats with Phoebe Bridges and Elle Sweatshirt and all these like Florence from Florence Well, She's having these conversations, she's doing my job for me, you know, and she's having conversations with Zane Lowe and Wow. Apple or Drew Lamb, who was at Spotify, she's having these conversations directly with them, making relationships. And so, when you have an artist who has that ability to be to welcome people, and then for people to feel like they have discovered her and can champion her, then yeah, you don't really need the big machine. You kind of, you know, you, you, it comes down back down to the music, uh, which is quite a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. I wonder how much that confidence when you had all those offers flying around and, you know, you took that step to kind of go your own way or you guys were releasing the initial EPs as well. How much that confidence came from Arlo kind of knowing what kind of music she wanted to make? Because I think what's so compelling, and I think why so many people at an early stage, like Apple, Spotify and radio, got excited was on one hand, you've got she's doing collaborations with Easy Life, but then now that's gone forward and she's doing collaborations with Phoebe Bridgers and the almost genreless yeah. era we're in, she's almost at the pinnacle of that. Is that intentional? Uh, or yeah, 100%. I'm glad you could pick that up and I'm glad that's... And again, it, it was something that we when we released the EPs on Beatnik, we, we really sat down. And uh, the first thing she said to me, Ali, she's like, Ali, look, you know, this is that time when I met her, she had like a bandana, like a little George Michael earring, you know, shaved hair, <laughs> like... DJ, DJ Shadow introducing a massive attack on Porter's head, but she also listens to Frank Ocean and, and she listens to like Lennon Cohen. And man, it's just so broad, her, her style of music, uh -huh. Fela Kuta, all sorts of stuff. So from day dot, it was very clear that she wasn't just, just a young girl with a great voice and, and can sometimes rap. It was, there's more to that. And so when we looked at the EP, Romantic Garbage, for example, is an R&B electronic song. We could have led with that song and that would have probably gone more towards one extra, probably want to go into certain areas. And she said to me, Ali, I don't, when I'm doing fresh shots, I don't want to be taken in front of like council flats. I don't want to be taken in anything yeah. in a chicken shop. I, I don't want to be in a place where I might be positioned in a certain area. I want to be completely holding. And when she yeah. writes her lyrics, she never makes, she never really says much about London or South or East or West. It's all much LA. It's very much, 
other sides of the world. She tries to, mm. to make herself quite global quite quickly. So that, there's a lots of little things that came into that, but certainly the strategy of release is really important. And when we made both EPs, the Sophie and the Supercharged Generation EP, we, she wanted to incorporate anything from soul and hip hop and Ninth Wonder beats and, you know, and uh, Phoebe Bridges guitar or Angel Olsen or J Julia Jacqueline she was listening to at the time. And so it, it, it was a risk because you're thinking to yourself, this could be a really disconnected EP or you have someone who's an incredible voice and recognizable voice and songwriting that has stories to keep it all linked. And, uh, and it meant now that she's in a position where this summer she was on BBC Six Music A-list and Radio One A-list. Yeah. You know, one of very few artists yearly that can actually achieve those heights. Um, and I'm really proud of that because it, it really, to this point, going into this album and where she is now, people, as you say, she, people, if she jumps on a, on a Burner Boy beat or she does a track with Angel Olsen, people won't bat an island and say that's just weird. They'd just be like saying yeah. that's Arlo Parks. And I think that's, that's one of the most exciting things of the A&R process, working with her as a manager. Hey guys, hope you're enjoying this episode. A quick thing we just wanted to bring to your attention. We have decided to team up with an excellent startup called Small Green Shoots. They are a company delivering music projects and opportunities to young creatives and emerging artists in London. Their team is made up entirely of amazing, young, enthusiastic, totally on it, future music professionals. So we thought we'd give them a chance and let our listeners know what music they're listening to on each episode. And who knows, you might just find your next favourite act. Yes, indeed. And this week's Small Green Shoots tipster is the excellent Cheyenne, telling us about what she's been blasting on the office stereo. My name is Cheyenne and I am a business admin assistant here at Small Green Shoots. And my chosen artist is Odile. The reason I chose Odile is because he is quite unique. He writes his own music, he produces his own beats. And whenever he releases a new song, I am always putting it on repeat, always putting it on the speakers, and I just can't get enough. Everyone should follow Small Green Shoots on Instagram, follow Twitter, and keep up to date with our new projects. Big thanks to Cheyenne for that tip, very much appreciated, and a big thanks to the Small Green Shoots team. If you are curious about how you or your music company can help usher in a new generation of industry talent, then go check them out. You can donate or you can provide opportunities or just get involved. Right, let's get back to the episode and back to Ali Raymond and his management journey. What's been the moment this year? If you can choose one with Arlo, because there's been a lot, or last year. Moment. Well, that's really for you personally, maybe not for her. Think, think about I mean, your you know, for, she she's changed my life in many ways. Um, you know, I think as a manager in over many years, and I've got some fantastic clients I've worked with over the years, and got you know, Ireland's great band as well, and they're in a sort of rock indie mm -hmm. side. But Arlo has opened up areas of the music industry that I've never seen before, worked with as a manager, um, and she, you know, she's taken an incredible journey. I think a moment. You know, I can't really think really. I suppose it was probably the touring just before before this. Um, I think the BBC sound poll was a really big moment for us going in. It really helped us as an independent artist because you look at that sound poll, seven of the artists are major labels, two of them are from big indies, and then there's Arlo on Beatnik. That really yeah. was an incredible moment that said to us, you know what, she can 
totally wrestle with the big boys and no one's going to knock her off. And, uh, you know, so that, that's a really special one. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's more moments where she gets to work with artists that she's always admired. So actually one of the moments, actually one of the big moments was we got an email from Massive Attack. And, wow. uh, no. we landed, we just landed from LA. It was like last year, actually. We, <laughs> Uh-huh. It's little moments like that where she's getting recognitions, like she, like Michelle Obama, put her music on, on a playlist recently, or uh-huh. someone like Romy from uh, the XX, or, or Billie Eilish shares her music. She's like, mm-hmm. "What's going on? Why are people like, yeah. like this is <laughs> nuts, Ali? Like, I love these people." Phoebe Bridges doing that piano session. Of course, yeah, that was amazing. These are things when I met her two or three years ago. She was like, she laid out all the list of artists that she loves. And then suddenly they're just nicely just messaging her being like, I love your music. I love who you are. So yeah, those little moments. You can't, you can't buy that. Can you? And it just, it just speaks to her talent. Um, kind of, kind of carrying on from that there, I guess you're well positioned to answer this question or speculate on it with Arlo and with the label. How do you feel about release strategies? And I would, I say nowadays, probably even more so with COVID and lack of touring. And it seems to be Arlo is just writing all the time. She's collaborating all the time. You know, some people will say, oh, you need to leave sort of four weeks, six weeks between a single. You're just like, go, go, go. Yeah. There seems to be so much. Yeah. Um, and you you mentioned earlier on about the fact that, you know, every, every artist wants to do their debut record and that's that monkey on their back, even though it might not strategically be the best time to do it. What are your thoughts on kind of release strategies in 2020? I think it's, I think it's yeah, it's a really tricky one because you want to be staying current and there's nothing better than, than new music to, 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 uh, mm-hmm. to start the fires and get people excited. Um, but, you know, I really feel for artists that don't write as quickly as that. No one's, you know, you know yeah. creators aren't a machine. You can't just churn out the hits or churn out the music. Totally unfair to put that pressure on, on musicians. Mm. And, uh, again, with Arlo, she's, she's very lucky that she... she, she can make a lot of music in an Airbnb or in a bedroom. So, mm-hmm. um, whereas Island band, you know, they they manage to write a lot in a rehearsal room, but it's very tricky for guitar bands to actually record what they've actually made to a, to a level that they're very happy with. Releasing in 2020, it, I feel like you just got to stay consistent, got to keep momentum. If you're a brand new artist, it's tricky. It's tricky because to get something off the ground, without having a, a live show to look forward to. But yeah, I think more than ever, as long as the, and I'm going to be biased because I'm from the creative side, but if you're going to be create, you're going to release something, you've got to have hot creative output. Like it has to be incredible. It can't just be about the music at the moment. It has to be like, not just your music video, your sessions, your look, the photography, the quirky stuff that you do on social media, like thinking out the box, like seeing Phoebe Bridges when she launched her, her record label and she has this website which is amazing I, 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 you should definitely check it out uh-huh. and when she did npr tiny desk sessions she had, had a green ski green screen like she was in and the the, pre- yeah. the oval office yeah yes <laughs> you know and you know you take something as big as glass animals their their recent album campaign which i think glass animals are a fantastic yeah. study in marketing you can just take that and narrow make it smaller for for a new artist but having that mentality having that if you're going to release don't just put the song up, like really, really consider every angle and every small detail because that's what's going to give you that edge because otherwise there's nothing that live isn't going to happen. So we have to substitute mm-hmm. discovery that you have on live music 
and how do you how do you substitute that on, onto sort of more digital base? Mm. So I hope that's answered your question. I don't know. If... I don't think there is a right and wrong answer, and it's obviously different for every artist, and it you know based on as you say how they write. You know, some artists just got to keep keep going. Um, mm. you know. So if we take it back to the music, um, I believe I read somewhere that she announced that she has finished the album. Yes. Yeah, That's yeah. Really that was exciting. a big moment. Talk about big moments. That felt like a really massive moment. But you know when you've, you've worked all summer on a record and you've listened to the songs a thousand times, it's still amazing in my head, but you're just so fatigued. I mean, even Arlo, she walked away. She hasn't listened to the whole album from start since it's mastered because she was like, I still listened to it for like another four months. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's really exciting. Um, so she has finished it. She finished it before her 20th birthday. And um, she collaborated with, with Gianluca, Luca, who, who produced a lot of the previous EP stuff, but she's also worked with Fraser T. Smith, Paul Epworth. Um, I thought she, it was Epworth because there's a picture, I think it was in DIY magazine, and I, can, I know the church studio yeah, so yeah. well, but they've just said her producer, and I was like, no, that's Paul Atwood. Yeah. I know that studio. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Really close to it. Paul's actually in one of those pictures from the side. Mm. Um, but yeah, that was, they got on really well. They're both Leos. And I remember um, <laughs> when we did the sessions, I phoned up with, with A&R Mike at Transgressive and was like, how's it going? He's like, yeah, we're having a great time. You know, we're both Leos drinking wine. I was like, oh, but how's it going? Because it's costing money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, oh, great time. It's fine. It'd be totally fine. You know, so, um, so yeah, I'm glad that they've got on so well. Shame the f- first couple of days nothing came out, but hey, that's a manager's problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, no, they've built, they've made an amazing relationship. And say with Fraser T, it's been an absolute dream um, to, to, you know, and that's a great studio. So the album is coming. It's coming January 20, 20, uh, 2021, 29th of January. Um, and there's no, it's all her. There's literally BV's by Clairo on this new single that's out now. And the rest is all more, which I'm very proud of. And two of the songs are produced by her, pretty much. Wow, just, amazing. Just, just, just extra little bit of dust on top by uh, two other producers. So, yeah, very proud of her. How are you feeling about those, those what was it, 39 festival bookings? Have they all been honoured for next yeah, year? Yeah, you, you know what? It, you know, it's the thing that everyone's in the same boat, right? And I actually feel more for my crew and, and the TM crews and everyone else working. Yes, they have been on it and, and more um, next year. So if he does go ahead, we'll still have a fantastic time. There's talks of Australia, there's talks of Japan, America as well. But um, I think a lot of it's going to be in 2022. But there is a good, healthy amount going into next year. Um, and again, with that, it's, it's, we've got a fantastic team and it's about doing festivals, it felt, from Arlo's perspective and from mine as well, that she still wanted to do the groundwork with the festivals, not just like jump in straight to these big festivals. Like she wants to go and play the yeah. obscure jazz festival in San Sebastian or some weird festival in Italy or Poland, and like just, just do the grind that every artist. Do, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and it looks like the tour you've just announced as well as, you know, I'm sure you could have maybe pushed it if there was sort of dollar signs in your eyes and done much bigger venues, but it looked like a sensible, obviously with the chaos of right now, but not that I base everything on Scotland and on Scottish things, but it looks like, you know, it's a good room in Glasgow. That's sensible that you will sell yeah, out. It felt like that because, you know, she, she you know? couldn't do her London show. The COVID hit while we were in Dublin <laughs> and uh, we played the Dublin show. And the next day, Dublin went locked down, and we could. And then we got back to London, and we couldn't do Brighton and London. So Brighton and London were moved up, yeah. moved on, and she hasn't played a London headline show yet. Um, 
That is Which is nuts, insane. isn't it? Um, and uh, so yeah. now we did two village undergrounds and they went in a couple of hours on Friday. So general sale. Oh, yeah. And yeah, the UK tour just blew out, but spoke to the promoters and the team. We were just like, it would have been greedy. And I think it would have been irresponsible right now. Um, you know, obviously her dream is to one day play Shepherd's Bush. And I don't think she's going to be very far off that dream. But yeah, yeah to announce happen. that yeah. straight away right now or anything like that, I think let's just hope we can get to where we are next year in, in terms of June and May. And yeah, I mean, she, it would be devastating for her not to be able to play because of, you know, that like any artist to play live is, is just everything. Even me looking from out, like from the from sort of the sides or, or wherever I am, it's just that energy. Very nice. Uh-huh. Uh, we saw Idol actually recently Absolutely. play at um, Sky Arts, which is a thing for Sky Arts TV. Oh Oval, yeah. Shakespeare yeah. Oval. And, Seeing the band like with all that energy coming from the from the amps and the bass and oh, it's just incredible. Yeah, wow. just it'll be it'll be back. Um, we've obviously spoken about about a lot of positives in this episode, which is brilliant. That's what we want. That's what we need right now. But a lot of the things that we get reactions from is when people hear stories of things that have not panned out the way they thought. Is there anything in in sort of the history of Beatnik that has been maybe turned out badly or turned out not the way you intended or a decision you regret? Is there anything that comes to mind? Yeah, no. no. I mean, where do you want to start? (laughs) 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 uh, It's going okay right now, man. Yeah, it's going okay. And that's, that's, you know, it's the shits and giggles. I think, uh, you know, the ups and downs of, um, of, of being a manager, you, you definitely, I wouldn't be able to stand here on this slightly small mountain that we've been able to build without all the other stuff that's happened before. And, you know, I've been fired from jobs. I've lost, you know, I feel like unfairly or I feel like it's gone down the wrong way, but such is the relationships and the business that we work in. Um, Yeah, I think it's just been, there's always been struggles. I think mostly losing your clients sometimes and you think it's so personal, um, Mm. but sometimes things Mm -hmm. come, I've I've come to a realisation that, I certainly don't have any regrets in life ever, really, because like, why would you do it at the time, you know, or why, you know, there's something that, you know, and, it all, and, and fundamentally, you've got to be happy where you are right now. So that's how I kind of try and live. But um, yeah, I think losing, losing friends, losing working relationships sometimes, um, and it could be both parties' faults or one party's fault. It's just, it's just the aim of the game. But you, you realize that people grow out sometimes of each other, you know, they, they grow, you know, you grow out of each other and you grow up, you have different ambitions and so that's mm-hmm. been regrets i wish i'd started things earlier you know um ah. we all, i wish i'd started record label much earlier um mm-hmm. and uh i wish i'd done management but i'm very very happy where i am right now of course i am right but um you know yeah. i before i met arlo i was giving beatnik like another eight nine months you know financially we were really we were really in difficult hole we were an independent company and uh mm-hmm. It's only so much. You're only as big as your next client sometimes, and, uh, and uh, yeah, you know, Island were out of cycle uh, for no fault of their own. They're just obviously make, making music and taking their time, which you know that's great for them. But for me, I, I, mm-hmm. I can't make money. Um, <laughs> yeah. Man. So uh, so when I when and literally out of the blue comes this this incredible young lady, and uh, and um, yeah, and it was so moments like that make me go, oh, you know what, I can roll with the punches because. Never know what's around the corner, right? Yeah, man. Those are like the stories that like we love to hear on this podcast and just is generally why people 
you know, find the music industry intoxicating is probably not the right word but you know (laughs) you know people can't leave it's because you know all it takes is that one next person to come along and everything could change and it's almost like a winning lottery Mm. ticket and so everybody kind of has that that dream that stardust that's what you know when I worked in publishing Mm. they used to say only takes one song to make a hit and then everything changes and so I just I love those stories and I think they're the kind of stuff that that people who listen to the podcast who are young managers as well as all the sneaky successful ones that listen, I know you're listening. Um, you know, it's <laughs> including you, Ali. Um, you know, I th- I love that. I think it's so important to remember, you know, you, you, like you said, you were eight months away from probably thinking about having to wind down and, and Arlo turned up and the f- stars aligned and there you go. Yeah, and I, you know, I had a, an amazing lawyer once tell me, he said, Ali, all you need is one or two, you know, and you'll mm. be all right. And I, you know, I've managed seven or eight people over the years and I've enjoyed every moment of it. I thought, I think every, every piece of experience has got me to the manager I am today. You know, I've, in the past, I might have been very sort of bullheaded or thought I had all the answers, but actually looking back, it, it's the moments I, I can see why things didn't work or things haven't worked. You, you learn from those things, I think. But it's a very romantic industry that we work in, right? And it's, um, it's lovely to, to have those moments. But you, you certainly need to have a tough, tough out of shell and a lot of self-belief. Mm. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, shout out to my girlfriend for putting up with me. For... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, a, there's a lot of other halves other involved halves, in almost every... Other halves who have paid for yeah. dinners, who have maybe gone like a bit more on the rent. Um, but yeah, but, uh, yeah it's, it's nice to be able to repay those favours. Um, but I think really importantly, it's, really, it's about surrounding yourself with people that you can really trust. And mm. outside of the industry as well as inside the industry. And I like to think that, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a, it's like a galloping horse. And you're the last person to hold on. Everyone else is falling off, you know, and you're like, one. and if you could just hold on that little bit longer. And I say the same thing for musicians, like, you know, it might not be your first hour, it might not be your second, but if you can hold on, you know, um, you, you, you might be able to get there. And um, I think there's something, really, you know, as you say, really attractive and draws you in from that romantic side of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really important lesson. And we've said it a few times on other, other, other podcasts, but if something that could be deemed as a failure or something hasn't gone right that is the point you're learning mm. that's that's probably what is getting taught at music business courses all over the country like that not where you wanted it to go is what you take into the next project it's what goes in and that's what makes a good manager nothing, you know? so nothing good to failure, hear like you're supposed to you're supposed to fail and mess up you know that's kind of comes with part of the territory because they're kind of winging it a lot of the time and you're kind of teaching yourself all yeah. these new things all the time you know um it's, it's been amazing to watch over the year that you know it is hard when so many people are struggling so hard but likewise we should be celebrating the wins and saying uh saying well done to you for everything you've done with arlo as well it's lovely to chat to somebody who you know you're seeing a career um progress so well this year for an artist and i think personally speaking you know i'm a fan and i love what she does and and how she's put herself across in a way that is um I suppose there was a lot of like Insta story fatigue this year. There just was like Insta live, Insta live wasn't there, but she's done it. So, I mean, obviously credit to the marketing team at Transgressive as well, but she's done everything she's done quite authentically or organically. And I think that's why probably she's, she's shone through this year. I speak like I work for NME or someone. I'm a critic of music. and I'm telling you why she's done what she's done. I love it. <laughs> what the hell? What's wrong with me? Get off my high horse. Jesus. That is great. It's great. But, um, but yeah, 
really, really, really heartwarming. I think when you look at it, like we, we kind of said at the start of this podcast, the first episode, of, you know, it, it's like a an iceberg, right? But you don't you don't see what's underneath, <laughs> which is like this huge amount of sometimes stress and mess and, and hard work. But she it, it, she leads that charge, really does. I, I think yeah, it's definitely something that's been difficult to do. Try and not create fatigue in in but it's it's been a balancing act but again it it all comes really from her she's the real shining light here to be honest brilliant brilliant Brilliant. well thank you so much for coming on ali we wish you wish you all the best for island for arlo obviously looking forward to seeing what you're going to release next on 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 beatnik it's always exciting that might be the next management venture as you've said it already for sure i look forward to sharing with you soon and hopefully we can nice um, one and congratulations on all your successes thank you so much for coming on thank you so much Um, thank you so much sophie thank you so much for having me on i really appreciate it and hopefully we can get a beer at a show in the not too niche future that would be lovely yeah please please (laughs) that would be amazing a festival hopefully in a muddy fest field what's what's that a festival i don't know remember it was lovely to see you both how Did You Manage That was produced and presented by me, Ali McRae, and her, Sophie Pallock. Edited by Ali McRae. Theme music composed and performed by Callum Wiseman. We are proud to be partnered with the Music Managers Forum and Small Green Shoots. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you for the support. And please do tell your music pals.